you are Locked On NFL, your daily NFL podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You are Locked On NFL, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm Peter Bukowski, and I cover the Packers for SB Nation and Packer Report. I cover the NFL around the internet. I also host Locked On Today, a new daily podcast covering all sports, everything you need to know to get your day started right around the sports world. Go check that out. In fact, you'll find some of these interviews on that show today. And at the end, we're going to give you an extended look at what that show is going to look like. But right now, we have... A Super Bowl matchup. It's going to be the Kansas City Chiefs against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So let's dive right into the breakdowns of these matchups, the biggest stories with our local experts. That's what we do here on your Monday Locked On NFL. The Green Bay Packers could not muster a comeback, and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers will go to the Super Bowl in Tampa Bay the first time that has happened. Joining me now, David Harrison from Locked On Buccaneers. And and David, the Bucs were uh, up eight. Matt LaFleur has a chance to go for it on fourth down. He does not decide to do that, kicks the field goal. This is one of those situations to me where you say, what does the other team want you to do? They want you to kick the field goal. What was your reaction to that decision in that moment? Uh, I mean, I was surprised. Uh, I had already actually tweeted from the Locked On Bucks account, as I do during all game days, that like during that drive, before they even got to that situation, during that drive, I said, you know, the Buccaneers defense, essentially the goal line is all that matters because there was a big pass. I can't remember who it was to, but there's a big play. They got, uh, you know, a lot of chunk yards and and got around, I think, the, the Tampa Bay 30. And, you know, a lot of Bucks fans, it's a very stressful situation. So I'm getting a lot of, of Bucks people in the, in the mentions talking about how stressful the situation is and, and all that stuff. I'm telling them, hey, chill. The goal line is all that matters. At the end of the day, in this in this situation, in this game, the goal line is it. Anything from the one yard line back, you don't care about. It's just the goal line. This is four down. This is four down territory. So when they got to that fourth down and they sent out Mason Crosby, I was surprised. I expected them fully to go for the touchdown because I look at it as as this: if you if you kick the field goal, you essentially, in my eyes, have to be going for the onside kick. I would think. I don't know because. If you if you kick the field goal, give them the ball back, you're in the situation that they found themselves in that it ultimately ended the game where you've got just over two minutes left. You might get, you know, the, the two minute warning, which they did get in the three timeouts. And that's great. Your defense still has to make the stop. If you go for the touchdown and you don't get it, you're in the exact same situation where you're down one score. You need a touchdown and you have the two minute warning on your side and you have your three timeouts. But now you have the Buccaneers backed up to whatever yard line you can get them to if you don't hit the end zone, if you don't make it to the end zone, at least, I don't know, I would probably have even a check down. Say, hey, look, if the end zone is covered, hit the check down, see if we can get in. If we don't get in, at least we put them on the three, the two, the one, something like You never know what's going to happen in this game, especially in the cold, especially the high stress. I mean, it's Tom Brady, but Ryan Jensen is known for having snap issues. You put Ryan Jensen in that situation, you know, in the cold, under the bright lights with Tom Brady, and you never know what might happen. You saw what happened with Pittsburgh, that snap, Peyton Manning back in the Super Bowl. That's all it takes. And if you're Green Bay and you get even a safety, you've got two points and now you've got the ball. Now you've got your three timeouts. You know what I'm saying? Like that puts you in a much more advantageous situation. If you don't get a safety, even if you force them to punt, you're going to get much better field position. Now you're back in position to try to score the touchdown. So it just it seemed a little weird to me, obviously. It ultimately bit him in the butt. 
Uh, so I was I was surprised, but I mean I don't know if is from watching Lafleur is that what you expected? It, it certainly isn't. He's been one of the most aggressive coaches in football this season. Five thirty eight does an aggressiveness index, and the Packers have been at or near the top the entire season. So from that perspective, it was it was pretty pretty shocking. And Matt Lafleur after the game was contrite about it, and he said, "Look, it didn't work." And so obviously, it's not the decision that I wish I'd made. I want to ask you this, and again, look, I cover Locked on Packers, um, and and so I have a a different perspective on this, but Aaron Rodgers goes for 346 and three touchdowns. Tom Brady throws three interceptions. Green Bay outgained, outpossessed, and outfirst downed Tampa Bay. So, with all of that being said, does this win feel lucky for Tampa Bay? Because in my mind, it doesn't. No, it's it doesn't feel lucky. I mean, I think that it's it's one of those games where, you know, neither team, I mean, other than the aspect that you're going to the Super Bowl. So it's kind of one of those things where you're going to take what you can take from it, you're going to leave it behind, and you're going to move forward to Kansas City or Buffalo, whoever wins the AFC Championship game. And from Green Bay, you know, for Green Bay, Aaron Rodgers doesn't care about 346 and three touchdowns and the 101.6 quarterback rating. He cares that they lost. Now he's he's into a vacation mode, you know what I mean, earlier than he wanted to be. But both teams scrapped. Both teams fought. And I think at the end of the day, what boil what it boiled down to is the mistakes that the Packers made, the mistakes that the Buccaneers took advantage of were more significant than the mistakes that the Packers had. I mean, you look at two of those those interceptions from Tom Brady, they're essentially glorified punts. I mean, one of them came on a second and ten. So obviously, you know, you don't want to give the ball back on a second down. But with the field position, the Packers got the ball back and they still got to drive the length of the field and to to make something happen from you're not putting them in scoring position right off the bat. The other or one of the other interceptions, the one he just kind of threw up a Hail Mary to, to Mike Evans, hoping he would find it in the lights and and bring it down. That was a third down play. They blew the blitz coverage. I don't know. I feel like Leonard Fournette was probably supposed to go to the other side uh, off the snap and and protect that side of Tom Brady. We're never going to find out that answer. So that's just kind of my assumption, just looking at the formation and the way that the whole thing transpired. But at the end of the day, it's third down. If, if Brady eats the sack or takes the sack or eats the ball, it's going back to the Packers. So he he he, he hurls, hurls it up there. Mike Evans can't find it. It comes down as an interception. It's Again, it's really a glorified punt. I mean, maybe if you go out there with Bradley Pinion, you pin him inside the 10 and the 5 or something like that. But really, it's it's kind of a Mox Knicks type of situation. So I think that's the significance. Whereas the turnovers that the Buccaneers got set up, you know, a deep bomb touchdown there at the end of the half. And then right into the, the beginning of the second half. Uh, set up that one play touchdown drive. I mean, that those two scores took the Buccaneers less than 31 seconds of game clock. And that, I think, is really where the difference comes down. Yeah, and there were two turnovers that, to me, decided this game. You have the interception at the end of the first half for Aaron Rodgers, yep. and the, the Buccaneers are able to get the Scotty Miller touchdown with less than 30 seconds in the first half. And then the Packers come out with a chance to make it a one-possession game in the second half. And instead of doing the double up, you know, they have the ball with two minutes left in the first half. You think they can go out and get a touchdown and then another touchdown when they come out of the second half and all of a sudden they're in control of this game. Instead, Tampa Bay goes out and gets the touchdown. Then the Packers fumble coming out of the second half and and the Buccaneers get the touchdown. To me, that was the swing that decided the game, wasn't it? Yeah, I think that second touchdown absolutely is the swing that decided the game. Uh, but I did go back to some Buccaneers fans later on in the game because I got some tweets again from Bucks fans who said that, you know, going for that touchdown on Scotty Miller at the end of the first half was reckless and it could have gone 
disastrously the wrong way and they could have given up at least a chance at three points. You know, I try to tell them, first of all, that field goal was super long. It's it's Lambeau field. And you know, I know how windy it is, but a field goal that long in Lambeau it, in, in that in those conditions is never going to be easy. So that's not guaranteed three points either. Uh, but then as the game, I mean, it came down to a five point game and the Buccaneers got that touchdown at the end of the half. So I think every Buccaneers fan kind of has to look back with, you know, the hindsight goggles on and say that was one of the defining moments of the game. But I think from a momentum standpoint, that touchdown to start the second half, I mean, that right there was just kind of a, a dagger. I mean, kudos to the Packers for fighting back. But really, that touchdown to start the second half kind of put them in a hole that even Aaron Rodgers can't pull you out of, uh, especially with Aaron Jones leaving the game injured. And that said, Aaron Rodgers had two opportunities in the second half. Tom Brady throws two interceptions. One of them was was really, really bad. The one to Mike Evans yeah. down the sideline. The other one was a tipped interception that that was a slight overthrow that maybe Mike Evans could have caught. Maybe he couldn't. But yeah. but the Tampa Bay defense stiffened in those situations. The Packers go three and out coming off of turnovers with the opportunity to go in and take the lead. That was, I mean, Tom for as good as Tom Brady played in the first half, he was pretty much that bad in the second half. And it didn't matter because this defense made the plays it needed to when it mattered. Yeah, I mean, Tom Brady and this Buccaneers offense, they threw for less than 100 yards in the second half after throwing for almost 200 in the first half. So not a good you know, second half of football from this team. But you're right, the, the defense, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense absolutely stood up. And we talked about earlier in the week, that really kind of that offense being hot and cold was really kind of a, a bigger concern almost than that defense was. And they showed why today. I mean, Vita Vea came in there and, you know, didn't notch a whole lot of sexy stats, but his impact was felt from from the very first time he stepped on the field. I mean, the first time he stepped on the field against Green Bay Packers offense, they got a sack out of it. That can't that's not a coincidence, uh, especially when you look at, you know, Shaq Barrett and JPP for the majority of the postseason have been relatively quiet, actually, for the for the really the better part of the last six weeks, I would say have been fairly quiet. Granted, JPP's dealing with an injury, but that just kind of shows you the impact a guy like Vita Vea makes. And I mean, getting two weeks now to rest up between before the Super Bowl, I mean, it, it, he's just going to be even better and be even more prepared uh, to, to play in that game. So that's that's going to have that Buccaneers defense really excited. But yeah, I mean, I mean, talk about complimentary football and complimentary football to most people, uh, you know, especially your casual football fan is defense gets to stop, offense scores. But it's not always that. It's, it's when your offense is struggling, can your defense make enough stops, give your offense time to figure out what's going wrong and to fix it and to do, to do enough to put points up on the board. It's easy when it's going well. Like when you're getting turnovers and you're turning them into touchdowns, that's easy complimentary football. Anybody can do that. When it's hard, that's where you find out the nature of your team and this defense missing both starting safeties by the end of this thing. I mean, two backup safeties back there. Jordan Whitehead's injury doesn't look good, so I'm not confident he's even going to play in the Super Bowl. Antoine Winfield Jr. should be back, but I mean, you got a quarter again. You got a quarterback like like Aaron Rodgers. You got a wide receiver like Devontae Adams. Lazard was doing some good things. Marquez Valdez Scantling. Like, I don't think anybody was worried about him coming to this game from a Buccaneer standpoint. But he showed that he can be a playmaker. And then you're missing both of your starting safeties yet you still are able to put the lid on, put the cap on when it came time to, and help get your team out of there with a win. Um, very impressive. And Todd Bowles. I mean, he, he's you know he obviously can't you know officially accept the job or whatever but if there's any other openings coming up out there there's going to be guys looking for him if not this year next year uh for sure before we move on today's episode is brought to you by our friends at echelon getting in or staying in shape has been extremely difficult in quarantine no access to classes in person for the most part few access to gyms will get everything you need at home including classes 
with Echelon. Echelon offers the next generation of connected fitness bikes, fitness mirrors, rowing machines, and the Echelon Stride Smart Treadmill. Their world-class instructors will motivate you with thousands of daily live and on-demand studio-level classes always available when you need them. And unlike other competitors, Echelon is affordable for everyone. One membership lets up to five family members all work out at the same time. Right now, you can try Echelon Fitness Equipment at home for 30 days. Go to echelonfit.com slash locked on. That's echelonfit.com slash locked on. On the other side, the Kansas City Chiefs, the defending champions, are going back to the Super Bowl. They handled the Buffalo Bills 38-24. to Joining me now from Locked On Chiefs, Chris Clark is here. And Chris, is it overly reductive to say that the difference in this game was the Chiefs had Patrick Mahomes and the Bills didn't because that's how it felt. <laughs> I think you could say that. I think you could also say the Chiefs had Travis Kelsey. They also had Tyree Kill. Yeah, it's just uh, not fair those at that three point. Guys in- <laughs> yeah. People, I mean, you know, at that point you're sitting there, how do you stop those three? And they really weren't able to do it. And I think it's funny because you look at how we went into this game and everybody was so worried. Patrick Mahomes, is he going to be able to be himself? Can he move around? He never had an issue. Yeah, and and his stats are out of this world. 29 of 38, 325, and three touchdowns. Uh, nearly 96 QBR and a, and a quarterback rating approaching 130. It did feel like any time they threw the ball to Tyreek Hill, he was going to make a big play. He had nine catches for 172. And I just don't know how anyone has any answers for them. And and there's a reason that they are a D Ford offsides away from making this three trips in a row to the Super Bowl. This offense is unbelievable. Yeah, they played very well tonight. And I really do think that, that it was a you know something that Andy Reid preached to them all about. Uh, you know, I think it's funny. You look at the way that w- this game started and it could have got out of reach for Kansas City very quickly because uh, they went down 9-0. Uh, they basically spotted the Bills six points uh, with the special teams gaffe by McCall Hardman. But, you know, this team is so resilient. Uh, and, you know, they went three and out on their first drive, and that was not what you were expecting. And then they get the ball back and they fumble, and the Bills score a touchdown. And you're sitting there going, oh, God, is this going to be you near where they fall apart? And what happens? They score three touchdowns on the next three plays. Five trips to the red zone tonight, five touchdowns. If you look at this Chiefs team defensively, that was one of the big questions coming in. And they hold the Browns to 17 last week. They hold this explosive Bills offense to 24. And that includes, as you mentioned, the six points that they spotted them basically with special teams. If you just take those combined point totals, that's 41. The Chiefs almost outscored them tonight. What is different about this Chiefs defense? Because they look a little different, too. Yeah, and I'm glad you're pointing that out. But what I will say really quick, though, is I think that a lot of people think that the Chiefs defense isn't very good. And I think that they take that to heart. I think that uh, they came out and they were fired up. And I mean, they got their ball on uh, what almost three interceptions in the first quarter or the second or, you know, the first two quarters. Uh, You know, obviously they didn't get any of those picks. They ended up getting a pick later in the game, uh, which helped them go up three scores. But be fair about it. Kansas City's defense really played a very good game in the first half. They only really allowed six points. I'm not putting that touchdown on them. And then, you know, in the second half, until the game was out of reach, Buffalo's offense still really didn't do anything. So I really feel very confident in this defense and the way they were able to clamp down. Uh, You know, they are going to have some injuries, and that's something we're going to have to watch for next week. But uh, it's a lot of fun to watch this game and, you know, see Kansas City 
put the pedal down and you know beat somebody by you know a couple scores that was part of the narrative right that they weren't winning these games convincingly enough these close game uh wins even though you know look in games that mattered they were 14 one um and and basically have lost one game in what almost two years now do you think they're taking that narrative? I mean, you mentioned that they're the defense is doing that. Do you think this team is is taking that a little bit, saying, why why is nobody talking about how good we are? We're the defending champs, and all we've done is win all these games. You know, I don't know if they are or not. I, I will say that, you know, one thing that, that stood out to me for Mahomes tonight was, you know, he does so many things well, uh, and his leadership is just amazing to me. And I just remember watching him on the sideline tonight when everything blew up on the field, he went and ran out and got Tyree Kill and pulled him back onto the sideline. And he went and, you know, he was trying to calm one of his center down when his center was talking to the Bills. And, you know, my whole point, though, is he does everything so well and he just he's on a different level than a lot of players in this in this league. And that's really hard to say because you have the NFL and they're all professionals. But Mahomes just seems to be a level ahead of a lot of players. And I think that's one of the things I think that one thing that he really pays attention to is he does pay attention to what people say. He does pay attention. You know, he paid attention to where he's drafted. He paid attention to where the NFL players said he was uh, when he counted on to counted to four earlier this season. (laughs) People want to call that petty. He uses it for motivation. You know, you say what you want. He's a defending Super Bowl champion and MVP and he won the league MVP. So, you know. I'm not too worried about it at this point. You mentioned the injuries. It sounds like Eric Fisher has a significant Achilles injury. That was the the prognosis from Andy Reid after the game. Given what we saw in the early game, in the NFC Championship game with Shaq Barrett and JPP and what the Bucs are able to do with that blitz game, if Fisher can't go, how big a deal is that for, for a Chiefs team that have had some issues protecting Patrick Mahomes this year? That's huge. Uh, they're twenty six and one with Fisher starting, so uh, you know it's going to be absolutely huge if he's not able to play. But what I will say, and nobody's going to be talking about this, but I'll bring it up: they also didn't have Sammy Watkins tonight. Yep. You know, you look at what the Chiefs' offensive weapons are, and you're right; they have ridiculous weapons in Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey. But Sammy Watkins is a very good number two wide receiver. He may not have the stats this year, but he still runs a four three. And he does a lot in the middle of the field, and he is going to really help them in the Super Bowl, in my opinion, because I think that they're going to have to do quicker throws, and they're not going to be able to do the you know the longer throws in that game near as much because of Eric Fisher being out. Uh, I do think he's out. I do think it's an Achilles injury, and I think he's probably out. And I'll be surprised if he's able to go uh, when the season starts in August. I think Kansas City is going to have to be looking uh, for a left tackle for next year. Just early feel here. As we look at the the Chiefs are are favored, uh, three and a half points based on what I've seen. Uh, I don't I don't know if that's enough points based on on what this offense can do. I mean, I know <laughs> I know the Bucks defense can create all sorts of havoc. I just until someone stops this team, it's going to be really hard for me to pick anyone to stay within a touchdown of them. No, and I agree with you. And I think you know you look at the way Kansas City's played this entire season. And honestly, the way they played tonight, I think, is a lot different because I think that they coasted at times this no year. Question. I think that they looked at it and they said, okay, well, you know, we're going to get where we want to go. And, you know, as long as we win, it's not going to matter. They didn't coast tonight. They didn't. I mean, Andy Reid kept his foot on the gas for the most part until it was almost out of hand. And honestly, 
Uh, you know, if it wasn't for a freak onside kick situation, then Kansas City probably wins by three scores. Uh, but at the same time, you know, those are plays that got to be made. And, uh, you know, still two-score victory over a team that everybody was talking about being the best in the NFL. And, you know, before the game, I saw people talking about how Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs were better than Tyree Kill and Patrick Mahomes. So that's fun. This is why you stay off Twitter. Never be on Twitter, Chris. This is <laughs> this is the the lesson that we learned from this championship Sunday. That no, that was somebody that was somebody on either Fox or CBS. Oh no. They said that Stephon Diggs and yeah, they said Stephon Diggs and Josh Allen were the better two and that Kansas City had a better coach and I think a better defense. I can't remember if it was defense or what it was, but yeah, I just I sat there and was like, hmm. okay. You're going to bet against the Super Bowl MVP and MVP. I'm for just two years shaking ago. my okay. head. That's why the only right pregame show you need is the Locked On pregame show. Cody and Ross do an excellent job. Check that out instead next time. Chris, thanks. Appreciate it, Peter. Today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Bet Online. There's only one place that has you covered. One place we trust for all your gambling needs, and that's betonline.ag. And right now, when you sign up for a free account at BetOnline and use the promo code LOCKEDON, you will get a 50% welcome bonus. Imagine that, a sportsbook giving you money. Books are not in the habit of giving away money. And yet, just because you listen to the show, they will give you that 50% deposit bonus. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. Get in on the action. It's not just... The NFL right now, the NBA is in full swing. Hockey is back. And guess what? Baseball will be here before you know it. So make sure you're making money on all the info you're getting from shows like ours. Right now, Locked On is the promo code to get that 50% welcome bonus because Bet Online is your online sportsbook expert. Today's episode is also brought to you by Built Bar. Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever. And trust me, I've tried them all. Most of them are gritty, they're chalky, they're difficulty. You don't want to eat them, and so you don't end up eating them. These are different. They are delicious, and they absolutely deliver on that promise as the best-tasting protein bar ever. They're the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar, and you can see why with flavors like caramel brownie, cookies and cream, peanut butter brownie, salted caramel, and so many more. I love them. My wife loves them. Now she is eating them more often than I am. I'm going and looking in my box and I'm seeing half-eaten bars going, hey, what's going on here? And it's because she's eating them. And the best part, it's guilt-free. They're low calorie, low sugar, high protein, and high fiber. Plus, right now, Go to BuiltBar.com and use the promo code Locked On, and you'll get 20% off your next order. That's promo code Locked On for 20% off at BuiltBar.com. I mentioned Locked On today at the top of the show, our new daily all-sports podcast that yours truly will be hosting every day on the Locked On Podcast Network. And I wanted to give you uh, a deeper look at it. Some of the stuff that you've seen today is going to be on that show, at least for this episode. That will generally not be the case moving forward. But we will also have, at the end of every show, our question of the day, our cue of the day. And it just so happens that our friend, Locked on Raiders, Locked on Bets, Locked on NFL's own, your boy Q, is on the show for the first cue of the day. And I wanted to give you a chance to get that here because it is 
an NFL question and a huge one facing the league right now, which has a lot of quarterback questions. Over the weekend, we found out that the Lions and quarterback Matthew Stafford have mutually agreed to part ways, which means Stafford is going to be on the move this offseason. Joining me now from Locked on Bets and Locked on Raiders, your boy Q. To me, the most dangerous place for Matthew Stafford to go is the 49ers. What are you looking at here with Stafford? You know, there's a lot of really good places that I think Matt Stafford could land. A lot of places that have a lot of good pieces around them and, and would just need a quarterback. And it's going to be a quarterback, not for the long term, but just kind of a short term guy. So, you know, first of all, look at San Francisco. I think San Francisco would be a great landing spot, you know, with Kyle Shanahan and uh, everything that he does with his offense. And you know that their defense is going to be solid. Uh, they're going to have an offensive line, something that Matt Stafford hasn't had in Detroit. I think San Francisco would be a nice spot. I also think the Indianapolis Colts would be a great spot. You know, Philip Rivers just announced that he's going to retire. Jacoby Brissett clearly is not the guy there. And, and and they have pieces, you know, they, again, they have an offensive line. They have a run game. You know, they have they have a defense. I mean, they they have a lot of places or a lot of pieces that are already in place to be a very successful team. I mean, they were in the playoffs. You know, you, there's a few teams that I could see this really being a good fit. A dark horse for me would even be the New Orleans Saints. You know, I know that Jameis Winston's there, yeah. kind of. I know that Taysom Hill is there, kind of. <laughs> but I think that with Drew Brees probably retiring, like most of us uh, think he will, why not Matt Stafford going there with with uh you know with uh damn what's his name now I forgot his name uh Sean uh what's his name Sean Payton what is it Sean yeah Payton. <laughs> yeah go in there with Sean Payton and do some do some things make some magic happen I mean I, I kind of look at all those locations as as ideal landing spots San Francisco Indianapolis and New Orleans I think all of them they have a chance to make some magic if Matt Stafford is acquired by them. Two, two names I'm surprised you didn't mention, Pittsburgh and New England. You know, the, the Patriots, we don't know what the future is with Cam Newton. I think if Bill Belichick wants to win right now, Matthew Stafford makes sense there in Pittsburgh. We know that defense is really good. We know they have skill talent, and, and we don't know what the future is with Ben Roethlisberger. So Stafford there, I think, would make some sense. But for all those reasons, especially with Pittsburgh, that, that you can say, okay, Stafford would work there in San Francisco with Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, George Kittle, and that defense, and then Kyle Shanahan calling plays. Are you kidding me? The ability to run play action. Matthew Stafford is the poster child for all of the analytics guys who talk about how, oh, you don't need to run uh, effectively to have good play action. It's because the Lions, who haven't had a run game since Barry Sanders— have been able to be effective off play action because Matthew Stafford on those deep shots is just incredible with that big arm and his ability to put balls where only his guy can go get it. As someone who covers an NFC team, that is the place to me where I'm going, please, please don't send Matthew Stafford there. But at the same time, and we we have to mention this part of it, Q, Deshaun Watson is out there too. Yeah. So if you're one of these teams thinking about trying to trade for Watson – you, you might look at it and say, OK, I'd rather just have 25 year old Deshaun Watson. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, the only thing about that, Deshaun Watson and that conversation, of course, has been hot and heavy around the league now for a couple of weeks. 
uh, he just he has the final veto. You know, he has the final say so right. uh, with that no trade clause being in his contract. So if he decides that, you know, San Francisco wants to make a play for him, but he doesn't want to go there. It's like, no, no, thank you. Or if he wants to go, maybe Pittsburgh wants him. No, no, thank you. I mean, it's it's basically he's got the final say so. Uh, it was a great move by his agent to get that no trade clause in his new contract that he has with Houston. So uh, really, no matter what, it, it doesn't matter what these teams offer Houston and it could be the best situation. You know, Deshaun Watson is going to have the final say. But I agree if you're going to go and make a move for a quarterback and give up a lot of, of assets and a lot of capital for him, you know, you might as well get the younger dude that's going to be around a lot longer. Like I mentioned before, Matt Stafford's not going to be a long term you know, solution. He's going to be a, a three, four year guy max, you know, and, and that's all dependent on as right. long as he stays healthy, which, you know, never estimate a guy getting hurt. But I mean, when you get older, I mean, things happen, you know, father time is undefeated, uh, but he's had a heck of a career behind a very poor offensive line uh, with a very poor organization, uh, you know, and, and think about this. I mean, how, how bad is that organization that three of the, I mean, really, really great players in the history of the league uh, basically have asked for their, their themselves out or just decide they're going to retire. And Calvin Johnson, Barry Sanders, and now Matt Stafford is out, uh, saying, hey, I don't want to be back here. I mean, that just that's a reflection of a poor organization as well. No question about it. Um, it you know, your your all time legendary players are going, right. mm, I don't know if we want to be here. Uh, so uh, look into your crystal ball for me. Where is Matthew Stafford, the opening day quarterback? We assume wherever he's he's going, he's going to be the day one starter. Where is he going to be in 2021? You know, I really feel like the Indianapolis Colts is where he's going to land. I just feel like yeah. that that's the one that makes the most sense. Uh, they had Philip Rivers there. He retired. Uh, I kind of feel like they're very similar in, in the style. And so I think, think he slides right in there, uh, except for he has a big arm, a lot more arm than uh, Philip Rivers had towards the end of his career. Uh, has a really strong offensive line, has a good run game, great play caller, uh, you know, on the sideline. I mean, I just I think there's a lot of things to like. And since they're in that that situation right now where they're trying to figure out what they're going to do with that quarterback situation, I think the Colts makes the most sense. If any team should kind of go all the way in, Especially think about this. If Deshaun Watson is not with back with the Texans in uh, in 2021, then all of a sudden Houston has a has an issue at their quarterback position. And then Indianapolis just all of a sudden improved their quarterback position in a major way by getting Matt Stafford. I think it's a double win in that division for the Colts. And, and it's a peak Chris Ballard move. Take a distressed asset yes. with all of that talent, and you're not going to have to give up nearly as much as you would for Deshaun Watson, who it sounds like the, the Houston wants at least three first-round picks and, right. and probably more to get a deal like that done. I think it just makes perfect sense for the Colts. Yeah, I mean, he would be quickly the 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 best quarterback, in my opinion, in the AFC South. You know, I mean, obviously, Jacksonville is going to get Trevor Lawrence with the number one overall pick, but he's unproven. Uh, who knows what's going to happen with Deshaun Watson? And Ryan Tannehill's a nice piece in Tennessee, but I think Matt Stafford is a better quarterback, a better overall quarterback. I think it just makes the Colts get that much better of a uh, of a, a foot in the door as far as uh, trying to win that division in 2021. As I mean, they were 11 and five with Phillip Rivers. I, I just think they could do that much better with Matt Stafford. That is part of Locked On Today, our new daily all-sports show. Go check that out. Rate it, review it, subscribe. Also, do the same with Q Show Locked On Bets. And we will be back here tomorrow to get you ready for the Super Bowl, as we do every day on Locked On NFL. Follow me on Twitter, Peter underscore Bukowski. Follow the podcast network at Locked On NFL Pods. And, of course, follow me every day with Locked On Packers at Locked On Packers. Just one game left in the season to stay locked on NFL.